Yo everyone, welcome back to brand new Techish in the building. This episode is a bit different. I've sent Abadesia on holiday, so I've got a more than capable guest host to fill in. And she goes by the name... Angela Andrews. <laughs> so like, before we go through our normal little roundup, I want people to kind of get a feel for who you are, basically, because they might be like, who's this person? Where's Abadesi? So like, who are you, basically? <laughs> well, who I am is I am Angela Andrews. I am a solution architect at Red Hat. I am also the co-host of Red Hat's newest podcast called Compiler. By trade, I was a systems administrator in higher education for many, many years. I'm a mom, a dog mom, and I am just loving all things tech. I'm very active on Twitter, at Scooter Phoenix, and that is literally me in a small little nutshell. I've been listening to the show and I heard you mention that you actually like, I think you did a coding bootcamp, if I recollect. Is that, did I get that right? I did. Yeah, so I know, I know a lot of our audience is basically, you know, they're either breaking into tech or they just got in and the episode I was listening to was about what the whiteboard interview. So like, what was that process like for you, like breaking in coding bootcamp to like maybe a whiteboard interview? Like, how did you manage to navigate those waters as a black woman in tech? Well, coding was my hobby and being a you know a systems admin was my career and i found that in my opinion i always thought that the coding community was much more inclusive mm. i saw more people that looked like me which does not exist in like the systems engineer role i'm kind of a unicorn in that space so i was looking for something that had a bit more of a community around it so i started coding for fun and you know doing local meetups volunteering at local charities that do, you know, teach women how to code in the Philadelphia, New York area. And I was like, I might be able to do this as a living. So I, you know, coding boot camps were new to Philadelphia in 2018. So I found one that I kind of did, that I knew a couple of folks that had graduated from in other cities. Mm. So I went through it six months in a full stack coding boot camp, and I learned the gamut. Like I'd known some things, but I literally learned a lot in those six months. And when the end of it came, I was like, you know, we were looking for jobs. We had, we did uh, practice, you know, whiteboard interviewing, yeah. a lot of algorithms, like the last couple of classes really focused on that because that's what a lot of hiring managers are looking for. Right. So we really tuned in on that. And then I was like, do I really want to be a developer? <laughs> <laughs> and I decided, no, I don't want to be a developer. I'm going to stay in systems. And um, I wound up getting another sysadmin job. And then I wound up getting this job at Red Hat as a solution architect. So I do think my coding expert expertise is a asset for my job, Mm. being able to speak code, understand code, talk to developers. So I kind of bridged that gap between dev and ops, I think. And um, it was, you know, coding boot camps aren't for everybody, but if you are trying to level up quick, I think they're a great idea. What would you say are the pros and cons beyond maybe like the expense of it? Like what was your experience like? Hmm. Well, do your research. There are a lot of coding boot camps that don't exist anymore because they were very predatory. I know people who had gone to those types of boot camps and it's like, buyer beware. So do your research, talk to folks who've gone to that boot camp, look on social media, see what folks have graduated. Because usually when people graduate from these coding boot camps and they found their first job, they're literally like caping up for their boot camps. Like they did it. They helped me find my first job in coding. So look for that. Definitely, you know, you know, interview them. Like, what is their, you know, graduation? Right. You know, how are they, you know, what what are folks looking like getting new jobs out? Now, the problem with a lot of these boot camps, they don't want to tell mm. you that. So you really have to go a roundabout way. They cost way too much money to go into blind. 
I will say this, so much information out with courses and books and folks on YouTube, that same things I learned in that yeah. boot camp and I paid a couple grand for, you literally can do this by yourself. I did it because my job helped pay <laughs> for it. And it, you know, back then it wasn't very expensive. And so I did it. But just be mindful that you don't want to sink in a whole lot of money. You don't want to go into yep. debt. Just be mindful that there's enough out there for all of us to learn for free. Yeah, I think people end up paying for that structure, right? It's so hard to have that self-discipline to teach yourself. And that's that's kind of what you have to end up paying for. And yes, that's exactly what you're Yeah, hundred percent. And on the pricing thing, like I know there's a few boot camps now where they're like, it's free, but then we're gonna take part of your salary afterwards. And I've heard some horror stories of people who dropped out of the course halfway, you know, 10% through the course, and they're still on the hook basically for the total expenditure. So definitely do your homework. Not everything that glitters is gold. And I think you dropped a lot of gems there. So how do you become a podcaster after that? Because obviously, listen, the tech podcast community is very homogenous, shall I say. Uh, me and Abedesi have trying to been hold down the fort. So there's another person representing. So how did you like, did your company just approach you and say, yeah, we want you to be on the podcast? Did you pitch it? Like, how did it go down? Well, I have been a guest on multiple podcasts over the years, even before I got oh, to wow, Red okay. Hat. So I knew a couple people that were Red Hatters. They were doing another Red Hat podcast, but we knew each right. other. And when I finally got to Red Hat, they were like, you would be perfect for this. Like, we've heard your podcast over the years, you know, why don't you join us while we're doing this new podcast? Now, this is not the podcast that we're currently doing, the one that was pitched mm. to me. It has kind of rejiggered itself over the past, you know, almost year to what you're hearing right now. So this is like the final end product. Compiler is the final end product. So I think it had a lot to do with, you know, me being very active in the tech space, you know, the Twitter spaces yeah. and, you know, in spaces period where tech is concerned and having done podcasts and not having a bad podcast voice, I've been told. <laughs> you're pretty good. So yeah, you're pretty good. I think that's, thank you. And I have a laugh that everyone was like, we have to keep your laugh on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't know what that's about, but those three things are definitely uh, what got me into the compiler podcast. Like. Yeah, my jokes are full pretty flat, so we probably won't hear your laugh on the whole show. So everybody be disappointed. No, I laugh. I, <laughs> I just be laughing. Don't mind me. Don't that's mind what I like me. To hear. I don't even need to be funny. Amazing. All right, cool. So the, awesome. the first story, I don't know how to feel about it. So basically, Apple was reportedly working on the way to help detect and diagnose conditions such as depression, anxiety, and cognitive decline, all from the iPhone. So they're doing a whole bunch of research on this. They're even working on a way to monitor conditions like, you know, Alzheimer's and stuff. And theoretically, one day you may get a ping on your phone saying, Apple's concerned about you, you know, we think you might have issues with depression and anxiety. Maybe we recommend you go to a therapist. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm not sure. But what's your initial gut instinct when you heard this story? When I, my gut was like, that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> giving any tech company your medical information, your biometrics, your things like that. I have a problem with that. I think it's very invasive. You know, it doesn't feel right because we know tech companies have a way of making something sound good in the beginning right. and then they do you dirty at the end. I don't. I do not agree with what they're doing. I know, you know, the research is out there. We're trying to help these types of diagnoses and issues and we're trying to help, you know, they're trying to help air quote their customers, but it just doesn't feel right to me. I, I, I wouldn't co-sign anything like that giving up my information. So they're, they're claiming that all the d information will be local. So it will all be on the device and none of the data will be sent to Apple server. So we've got to wait and see on that one. But so you're saying that if this feature existed now, 
you wouldn't want, if there was an option to say, tick, monitor my mental health, you wouldn't want any kind of friendly notification saying, maybe use the phone less, or we notice that you're using the phone too much and this might have this impact, chill. Like, how, how would you feel about that in 2021? In 2021, it's all about the individual. Yeah. And as this individual, I don't feel as though I need my phone to govern alerting me about my mental health. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by folks that are really in tune with that I communicate with. I don't need my device for that. Yeah. I you know, I'm lucky enough to knock on wood have health insurance where, you know, when issues do arise, there's nothing wrong with seeking out therapy and counseling to try to get those issues. I just don't trust these tech companies type of information yeah. because we've seen how they've turned it into, well, how can we make money off of right. this? And I don't want you making money off my back. Yeah, you know what? I think I'm would be much more scared if this was Google because obviously they so Android is obviously run by Google and they make most of their money through advertising. So if Google knows that you potentially may have Alzheimer's or showing the early signs of cognitive decline, what's stopping them from using that as a data point to target you for, for their clients? So if, a, if I'm a you know health insurance person, if I'm a, a medical company of whatever kind, then I'm like, I want to target people who are showing decline. Now Google will, hey, presto, we've got this feature. Why don't you just click this on, you know, on Google ads and we can, we can find those people for you. There isn't nothing preventing them from doing that, right? And it's scary. I, I, I don't know how to feel about it. I understand like it's difficult really because the phone is probably also giving you depression. So it's like, we'll, we'll give you the problem and now we're going to sell you the solution on the back end. So it's like, it's like a drug dealer. I don't know how to, I, it's so exactly. weird. It is so weird. But yeah, everyone, let us know your thoughts. Hashtag techish. Do you want the phone looking out for you in this regard? <laughs> so let's, let's have a poll the audience on that one. Yeah, I'd like to hear what people say about that because, you know, I might be in the minority and that's okay because everything's not for that's everybody. Real talk. So basically now, sticking to big tech, Google is reportedly about to buy a New York City campus for approximately 2.1 billion. It's going to be in Manhattan. They've got around 12,000 Googlers in New York already and they want to add around another 2K more. Now, this is interesting because Google, obviously, and a lot of big tech, they're not really feeling this work from home life. They've said, you know, made statements that we don't really like this and we want everyone to come back in. But because of the pandemic, they've kind of been forced to just keep it moving and maintain the work from home policy. First, I want to know, actually, so how have you found this work from home life? Is it new to you? Because I know a lot of people in tech were doing it before. And then also like, what's why are these companies so willing to hold on to this i don't like this campus and like make it make sense what's your perspective on this one well i am new to working from home since i've been at red hat i've always worked on a college campus so i've always had an office i've always had co-workers you know with that community that google is talking yeah. about they want to continue to build their community i get what they're saying but having worked from home you know since the pandemic started it's possible mm. it's not so far out of the realm of possibility businesses are still making money. You know, Google's stock has doubled since the beginning of the yeah. pandemic. So for them to say that, you know, they're trying to build community, they're trying to do this, they're trying to, you know, bring people back into the office and they're buying all this real estate. What they're saying is, you know, we know we can make money without these huge campuses because our stock price have doubled in over a yeah. year, right? So we're making that, we're making that cheese. But what they're also saying is, you know, remember the talk? I've been to Google's campus, okay. right? So I've yeah. seen it. The, the amount of amenities that are in these buildings, it makes it so you never have to leave. Yeah. They have sleeping pods. They have, you know, <laughs> fitness classes, restaurants. Like you literally don't have to leave the door. But 
where is that work-life balance? I know we're struggling with it working from home. You know, Mm. a lot of us forced to work from home and we're struggling with that balance, but rather, in my opinion, they're flipping it. Let's come to work and stay here. Yeah. Give you everything you need. You want your dry clean and done? We got you. So this pool, I don't know. And and they're trying to cut people's salaries that are kind of deciding to stay remote, which I think is very problematic. You know, they're trying to literally punish you. Now, for some folks, that commute was really a monster. You cutting my salary is not going to mean too much to me in that one. I'm not driving. You know, I'm not wasting that gas. I'm not wasting that train ticket, the stress that it's involved. It may be worth it for some, but to to penalize people in that respect, it it seems they're they're not losing any money. They paid people their salaries up to this point. Why can't you continue to pay? Yeah. And I've got a stat that absolutely blew my mind. How much money do you think Google is sitting on in their cash? And don't be afraid to do a silly answer because I had no idea what the answer was. Don't be Googling it. Come on, have a think. Wow. So No, no, no Googling. <laughs> if I had to say, Google has to be worth, I don't know, 400 billion maybe? Yeah. Just guessing. I mean, if they have 2 billion for a, bi- for a campus, maybe they're worth, they're worth billions. They're worth billions. But what did you find? So what basically, you find? I'm going to let, let you cop out with an answer there, but it's all right. So basically they have apparently $132 billion in cash just chilling in an account. And I think a big part of it is with this story is like, when you've got that amount of money, you're like, we need to spend it on something. We don't know what to spend this on. New York real estate is always good money. It's not going to lose value. It kills two birds with one stone. Let's just do it. I definitely think that's a factor because like, what do you do with that kind of cash? They don't know. The engines are operating great. The company makes money hand over fist. There's nothing new they're working on that's actually like a real growth market, right? So I think they're like, we might as well, right? What do you make of the argument? Because me and and Abedessi debated this where like, if you're younger in your career, if you're just starting out, is remote work optimal? So me personally, it never bothered me. I don't mind. But some people might be like, well, I'm looking for community. I'm looking for friendship. I'm looking to meet someone, even though I don't recommend dating at work. But what do you think to that perspective? That's two sides of a coin. So I see the benefit in you know working with your colleagues, talking to them, walking up to them, getting that, that mentoring, that interaction. It, it's when you're new in your career. I remember being new in my career. It was actually a bonus to have that work environment where I didn't have to be afraid to walk over to someone and look someone in the eye and get, you know, the real deal. Like, am I doing this right? You know, help me with this, you know, and and then even going even further, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Let's talk this, you know, talk this through. Let's go to, so to be able to build those types of relationships and that type of community, I'm finding it because now I'm all remote in a brand new company. So I'm in that position right now. Has it been difficult? Yes, it has been. Is it possible? Most definitely. You have to extend yourself beyond the screen, you know, come through the screen and people tend to gravitate to that. So I think it's possible. I just think it's probably a little air quote, a little bit harder if you don't have that face-to-face. I'm a face-to-face person. Like that's just me. That's my personality. But I'm finding that I'm trying to figure this remote thing out. And sometimes, you know, I've met some of my coworkers in the past month. And you know what that did? Mm. It solidified our relationship yeah. because we met, we talked face to face. There's something to that. There's something to it, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And I think the hybrid model is probably the way that it will end up working where like you might tap in with your coworkers at certain points, once a month, once a week or whatever. And the rest of it will just be remote. Like this whole concept of forcing everybody to go in every day, it's making less sense as the, you know, as the thing. So if, it's not if my vote counts at Red Hat, I would say keep it remote, people. I'm joking. <laughs> They're like, who are you, Michael? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all remote. Like I'll, I'll never have a desk in an office. It doesn't exist. So I'm good. I'm good. Cool. 
Okay, so wrapping up, this is kind of de- oh. this is kind of depressing. So Tesla is facing racism allegations from one of their factory workers. So Owen Diaz, shout out to Owen Diaz. He was a factory worker there. He alleged there was rampant racism. He got called the N-word. He got told to go back to Africa. He got told a whole heap of madness. And he's getting his day in court, which actually apparently is quite rare. This normally gets settled in the back rooms. Like, yo, just take a hush money. Please leave us alone. He's taking this to court. One interesting tidbit I thought would be interesting is that apparently only 35% of workplace discrimination suits actually end up in a win rate for the plaintiff. So if it's all true, I hope he gets his coin. I hope he gets his bag. Like, I want it to be top dollar, right? Like, where do you want to take this? Because it's like, yeah, the floor is yours. So this does not surprise me at all. This does not surprise me. So one, he was working in a a factory, right? So, you know, no, no shade to folks who work in factories, but think about, you know, the type of, you know, banter or things like that, that are usually probably commonplace, right? Right, Not to say that it's right, but, you know, people probably talking out the side of their head all the time and it's okay. The simple fact that, you know, they say, you know, you don't want to, you know, you can't take the support, you have to arbitrate and then we'll pay you off so you can be quiet, but, and never doing anything about it. So if you look at, at the course of the past few years where, you know, since, what was the article 2016, they've had like 90 arbitration wow. complaints and, you know, Tesla won, you know, 11 of them with this private judge. No one knows what's going on behind the scene. And they lost one earlier this year. Most of them literally just fall by the wayside. So to them, with that type of ratio, why would you change? Yeah. Why would you do anything different? Yeah. Right. You're still making money. That stock price is still going up. Those cars are still coming off the assembly. So, but for this guy, Owen Diaz, he, he had a special case and, you know, shout out to him for exercising his rights. He wasn't really a Tesla employee. Right. So he was a contractor. He was exempt from that arbitration mess. He was like, no, we're going to court. Yeah. So I'm sure Tesla's going to zip that little loophole <laughs> up. That's you done know, now. So no more of their that's yeah. done. No more of their contractors can pull this stunt yeah. on them. But, you know, stuff like this is systemic. You know, how are we in 2021 letting people come at us like this and the company doesn't do anything? You know, I hope he wins. I hope it's punitive. You know, a million dollars that that case they lost earlier this year. That's not enough to sh- to make them change a million dollars to Tesla. Yeah, it's chump change. What's their stock? You know, over two thousand dollars a share. No, they're good. It has to they have to be be transparent about that. And some of their stockholders are actually pushing for the more transparency. Yeah. But then you got some of the board members saying, because there's a stock vote, uh, a, share, a shareholders vote coming up in October. They're telling people, vote no. Yeah. We don't want transparency. We don't want people in our business. So what does that say to you? I, what does that I say? I think, you know what, the investors and the stockholders and shareholders that are asking for the transparency, I don't believe for one second that they care particularly about racial discrimination or sex discrimination as like you know they're not bleeding hot liberals they don't give a damn basically right but what i do think they realize is that it's bad business as in if we keep having this we're going to lose employees it's going to be another headline in the new york times and they might dip the stock they're thinking of their pocket whereas the board i think is being very short-sighted i even remember this happened i wasn't in the company but it's happened in another situation where another large public tech company was getting dragged through the mud and it was actually the investors that were like we want to sue the board because you're getting so many allegations against you right now that it's making us look bad and and it's depressing that it takes money and capitalism to move the needle but this might be it who knows right because that's the only system we've got right now so like maybe this will do it let's uh keep posted owen diaz will be win yeah we're rooting for you bro 
thing of like tech stockholders, shareholders making money, there has been a hamster. Bear with me right now. There's a hamster that has a Twitch channel. And this hamster is picking stocks based on where he gets off the wheels, the wheel ride, basically, right? And people are obviously setting it up and he is actually 20% returns this year, basically. And he is beating Warren Buffett, Kathy Woods, a whole bunch of people, the S&P 500. He is winning money, basically, right? Now, yeah, I, got, I haven't seen the channel. I've got to watch this. But what does it say right now? Where I, You know what? Let me just back up for a second. Because I know a lot of people right now that are feeling like geniuses because they're buying crypto, they're buying stocks, and they're making money. And let me just tell you, you're not a genius if a hamster can match you. It's a bull market. Like, have you got caught up in this wave of, like, the Robinhood investment, or are you conservative? Like, how do you, like, what's your feelings on, the, on this, like, meme stock economy and, and all that madness? Well, I think that I like the fact that the market is more approachable for yeah. folks. So the Robin Hoods, the, you know, being able to do the penny stocks, like that is a boon for any investor because, you know, as Americans, we're, we're, we are such a, we're such a capitalist society. Why not try to make some money off of the backs of, yep, you know, yep. these corporations that, you know, are, are literally, you know, are their consumers, yeah. right? So it's almost like this two-way street. So I think it's great that more and more people are getting into investing investments. I wish people would do it sooner because, you know, there's this long game that we need to be worried yeah. about, right? You know, because, you know, I, I am of the age where it's like, look, sis, you need to figure out what this retirement's going to look yeah. like because I don't want to work till I'm 70. Yeah. I don't even really want to work till I'm 60, but whatever. So you really have to think about what are these multiple streams of income are going to look like? How are you going to build your nest egg for yourself? Because, you know, the, the average is what people retire, it's, you know, seven and then they only live another 11, 12 years. No, yeah. I don't want that to be. Yeah, yeah. I want to be that person that I don't mind making those, you know, investing in things that I know are going to show some sort of return. What I bet on a hamster, you know, <laughs> you know, probably for a grin or a giggle. Yeah, definitely for a grin or a giggle. But I think it's more to it than that. I really do think it's more to it than that. We have to be uh, more savvy as investors. Um, yeah, hundred percent. For putting in money. Like yeah, that. you know what? Because like we've been quite harsh on Robin Hood on the show, but you're right. Like there's been a lot of data that showed that like specifically with Black Americans, that actually Robin Hood has been a bit of a boon. Like it's encouraged a lot of people to get involved and it's reduced the barriers and whatnot. So that's great. My only concern has always been with a lot of this stuff is that like people are learning the wrong habits, which is not like buy and hold and be like conservative and like just bit by bit by month. It's basically everyone's getting involved in data trading and from what i've seen and most of the data shows most day traders don't make a penny and they end up going broke and the market right now is booming i've seen people who are like i know a guy who was like i want to get a mortgage but actually i'm gonna put it all on tesla and he's made a whole bunch of money so i can't even say you were wrong but i'm like you're playing russian roulette and you won doesn't mean you're smart right you know what i'm saying and i hope people haven't learned you know bad behaviors basically but we'll see yeah i'm gonna back this hamster i'm gonna put a little allocation on the hamster let's see what the hamster gets me that's what i'm gonna say <laughs> I'm, I might do the same. I don't know. What, I don't. I haven't watched the Twitch channel, but now you got me interested. I might have to check it out. His name is Mr. Gox. Shout out to Mr. Gox. All right, cool. Writing it down. So before we depart, like, what's the like 60 second pitch for the Compiler podcast? Because I know everyone's got a lot of podcasts in their rotation right now. Like, why Compiler? Like, give it, give it to me. Put you on the spot. Well, Compiler <laughs> podcast, no problem. <laughs> compiler podcast, we're answering those hard tech questions or even the not so hard, maybe the strange or the what ifs. We're just answering those questions. I mean, we've all had, you know, questions about tech. And that is, I think, how Compiler is trying to approach the podcast space. One, it's a tech podcast with a Black woman as one of the hosts, mm -hmm. which is very unusual. But we do talk about tech topics. 
We talk about, you know, edge computing. We talk about should managers code. We talk about documentation. We talk about open source. But we come to it from an angle where we're letting our listeners get a feel for different sides of this question, right? And then they get to make up their mind. And I usually try to do a call to action for folks. You know, let me know what you're thinking. You know, there's sometimes we don't have all the answers. So it's we like it to be more of a conversation. And that's, I think, once this, you know, once it takes off, you're going to see a lot of that where we're hearing from our listeners and we're using that input. So Compiler is a podcast for everyone. You know, you're tech adjacent, you're in tech, you're thinking about coming into tech, you know, you're a tech veteran. Compiler podcast is for you. Dope, dope, dope. Okay, cool. Let's wrap it up. So how, how have you found the experience with the techish audience? Like, what was it like? Break it down. Like, I want to get the inside scoop on your first ever appearance of techish. How was I as a host? Wow. So this, <laughs> you were amazing as a host. Thank you for being an awesome gentleman. I loved it. This was an honor for me because, you know, I've not been on podcasts, you know, targeted toward, you know, people like us. Yeah. So this is for me, this is an amazing win. So thank you for that. Thank you for this opportunity. I enjoy it. You know, the topics y'all talk about, it's really real. They're resonant. They're in the news. It's stuff folks are always talking about on Twitter. Anyway, I'm really big on Twitter and I like to see these types of conversations. Tech is everywhere. So we really do. I like hearing your side. I like hearing your part of the story. And I really do like the way that you and your co-host, sometimes y'all don't necessarily disagree, uh, yeah. but it's always in love and it's always respectful. And I really do appreciate it. And I'm always wrong as well. That's the key point to take home, everyone. Remember that one. Uh, well, <laughs> so uh, at least what Abba says. But yeah, all right, cool. We'll call it there. Yo everyone, thank you for listening. That's been this week's Techish. Something a bit different. Hit us up on hashtag Techish. How did we do? And yeah, we'll catch you next week. Abel will be back next week and we love you. All right, ciao. Bye.